Good morning. Uh, it's good to, to be able to come and, and to speak God's Word this morning, to uh, dwell in His presence as we're here all together as one body, one in unity in Christ, Christ Jesus. Um, the, the title of my sermon this morning is The Purpose of Temptation. And as um, Bill and Ben and I discussed probably a month or so ago about um, what I may speak on this morning, I, I really, um, it really came to me fairly fast this time. Usually um, it, it takes me a while to kind of settle on one thing, but um, temptation um, seems to be something that, um, that burns inside all of us, especially myself, as we face temptations every single day as we know our as we're no different than our our Lord Jesus Christ as we know he was tempted as we are tempted um, and so I came to the scripture um, the verses in Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus is led out in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan but before I begin reading in Matthew if you would, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Um, as we know, as, as the songs that we sang this morning as, as Ben led us, as we know as the cross is where we have our victory in Jesus, that He died the death that we couldn't die. He paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. But to do that, He had to do something that's still a mystery to me. Um, the Bible says it plainly, but my mind can't fathom, can't wrap around um, this, this, this fact, this, this truth that the Bible speaks of, and that's Jesus the God-man. That's, that's Jesus with full deity, and yet being fully man. I, I don't know about you, but for me, that's almost hard to grasp. As I, I think in myself, as I go through this life and my in my young years, um, not not being very old at all, and and I think from from as a child, as a baby, being tempted and, and led into sin, and, and, and being a sinner, um, and even to this day, there's there's hardly there there's not a day that goes by that I'm that I'm not without sin. I mean, we're we're sinners, and so we're in need of a redeemer, and that redeemer had to be. Man had to be of a man, be of a woman, had to be of a of the the, the seed, and as we know in Genesis three fifteen, and yet he had to be perfect. He had to fulfill the law in perfection. And I think the one thing that we we tend to overlook, and we look to the cross, and that that is what we look to, and it is what we boast in, but we seem sometimes to overlook the first thirty years of Jesus's life. 30 years he walked upon this earth sinless, yet tempted as you and I. It's, it's, my mind can't fathom that. And it's the fact that he is, he is God. He is fully God. He is God in the flesh, as in the song, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And yet the Bible says he was fully man, tempted as you and I. And so I want to start with Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start, I believe it's in verse 5. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Uh, At this juncture, let's pray as we begin reading in our text. O Father, uh, may your Holy Spirit be upon me, Father, this morning, upon us all as a church. As your humble servant, Lord, as, as someone, as the song says, says uh, stumbling and stuttering uh, through your word, Father, I pray that the strength lies in your spirit, that your spirit opens hearts to receive your word, that I'm only a messenger, that, Father, that you would use me this morning to depart your word, that as Christians we would grow stronger and grow closer to you this morning, Father that we would meditate upon your word, that you would speak to us in ways that our ears can hear and our eyes can see. Oh, Father, if there's anyone here this morning, that, Father, that does not know you personally, that does not have a relationship with you, Father, may your spirit speak to them this morning and draw them to the cross. Oh, Father, I, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Notice that at this time, if if you just scan back in Matthew 3, where Jesus is just coming from before this this trip, this, this, this walk out into the wilderness, as he was led by the Spirit, where was Jesus? What was happening in Jesus' life? Um, we, if you go back, he's there in the Jordan with John the Baptist. Remember? If you're reading the latter part of Matthew 3 there, I don't have it right in front of me, but if you'll, if you'll look there, he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And, and we discussed that. We just talked about it just very briefly in the sense that he, was, he, had, to be, he had to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but he fulfilled the law. He did what you and I could not do. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They were there on probation, as you will. They had the ability to sin and and not to sin. 
we know the result of that, obviously. They, they sinned. And so we have that punishment, death. And so we had to have a redeemer. We had to have someone to come and, and in our stead. He had to be perfect. He had to be of perfection. And Jesus is that person. That second person of the Trinity. The Son of God. So as he's there in the waters of the Jordan, he's, he's baptized. And, and we know that as he comes out of the water that, that God, that the, the dove comes down from heaven. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus, he came in bodily form. He had a body just like you and I. Some people want to overlook that fact and, and believe that he was sinless because of his deity. And it's true that Jesus retained his deity, as we know from the Philippians passage. He was, he, he was full of deity. He was God in the flesh. And yet, he was fully man. Now, how we reconcile that in our minds, I don't know. But I just know it as the truth, as the Spirit speaks. So we have Jesus, the God-man. Remember, he spent the first 30 years of his life living with his mom and dad, his earthly mom and dad, if you will, Mary and Joseph, in the land of Nazareth, that obscure place. Um, he probably, I'm sure, he went about his father's trade just like anyone else would of that time. He would have done the same as his father Joseph had done, his earthly father. And then we have John the Baptist. Now remember, there was a 400-year break between the last time that God had spoken to his people. Remember in Malachi? Malachi said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So we're for, he's, Jesus, the, the coming of the Lord was foretold. It was foreshadowed. It was, it was spoken. And so the people are looking for a Savior. The problem is they're looking for the wrong kind of Savior. And, and I have to admit that a lot of times I think a lot of us here today are still looking for that same type of Savior. We might not think that we are. But we get so caught up in politics and the president and all the, the things that are said and done and the laws passed, not passed, what have you. What are we looking for? We're looking for something to come along and to give us prosperity we're looking for someone to come along and make us feel good. We're looking for someone to come along and to defeat our enemies, to establish us, the United States of America, as the greatest nation on earth. And some of those things I'm not saying are totally bad in and of themselves. We all seek, there's nothing wrong in feeling safe. There's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about being prosperous in what we do. But is that the ultimate thing that we're looking for? Is that what we strive for every day? Or do we look to Christ? 
who gave up, who descended down from heaven, who came and, and humbled himself to the, the form of man, and to walk this earth and to be abused, to be, uh, as we know on the cross, on his way to the cross, and they're spit upon. And, and as his, during his ministry with his disciples, just, you know, just denied. The Savior had come. But they were looking for him in a different manner. And, and I believe sometimes, again, that's what we do. Are we looking for Jesus, the Savior, today? In our struggles and temptations, which is what we're talking about today, this morning, in our temptations, do we see Jesus Christ? Do we see that He defeated Satan here in the wilderness? You know, I believe, and the Bible says that He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, I, I don't think... I, I believe Jesus was on the offense, not the defense. He was on the offensive. I believe Jesus went out knowing what was to come. We, we know in His first, first 30 years, this is not the first time He was, he was met with temptation. As he grew up, I'm sure he was tempted just like you and I were when we were that age. And yet he was without sin. And so here he goes. He goes out and, he, and he's, he's led out by the Spirit into the wilderness. And, and here he is. And, and I want to go back because it says in that, in that verse in, in 3.16-17, through it says, Then... Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You see, Jesus is on the offense. He was out there 40 days and 40 nights. It said he fasted. So, I don't know about you, but for me, in four hours, I feel like I'm starving. Okay, or four minutes. Um, <laughs> but here Jesus is. And, and how, was he be able, how was he able to do this? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, he, was, he was God and he was man. But some way, supernaturally, he was able to do it. And it says, you know, it's, and then Satan comes and he tempts him. He gives him three temptations. He tempts him three times in a major way, in, a, in subtle ways, though. In ways that you and I are tempted every day ourselves. And so how do we respond to that? You know, a lot of times we say, you know, we want to say that the devil made me do it. You know, you know I did something and it's sinful and, and it's of the devil. But before I get into this, I, I want you not to be misguided in the sense that, yes, Satan tempts us, but we are, we are sinful man and we do have a sinful nature. And sometimes it's not necessarily because Satan is not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, he's not God. And so we can't be everywhere all the time. And so it's our sinful nature sometimes, and we just, it's of ourselves. And we have to keep our eyes on Christ. We become complacent. And so Jesus is coming off this great triumph, if you will. He's baptized. He's, he's, he's been he's, he's sent off into his ministry. And then we have to be careful because a lot of times that's when we're hit the hardest. When we have victory in our lives, when things are going good for us, that's when Satan kind of sneaks in, and that's when he hits us. That's when he tempts us. Because we're complacent. Because we've kind of become full of ourselves. And, and I'm a person, I don't know about you, but I have the tendency to be that way. And I, I know back in, in a few years ago when I was teaching Sunday school, I would be riddled with guilt a lot of times about 
teaching the class because through the week I would be in sin and, and, and I would feel unworthy in teaching God's Word and, and speaking to, a, to a, another group of people because I felt like, who am I to speak to these people when I feel like the biggest sinner in the, in the room? And that's Satan's way of, of trying to separate you from Christ. That's Satan's way of, of trying for you not to speak God's Word. Um, and so we have to be careful. Because sometimes, though, these temptations, if you will, they're not temptations. Sometimes they're tests. Sometimes they're things that God puts in our way. Sometimes they're things that God places in our paths for a reason. Um, I, just, I just can't help but think of, of Job. You know, we, we know um, Job, um, what, what happened to him? He was, he was there, he was very rich by all means. We know that because back in that day, uh, an agrarian um, society, uh, that, that your wealth was measured by the cattle that you had or the land that you possessed and so forth. And so Job was rich. But Job was righteous before the Lord. And, and Satan comes before the Lord and he says, and I'll, re, I'll read the scripture in Job. This is Job chapter 1, 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, and blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and, and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The one thing that I noticed there is that God said all that he has you can touch. Do you not know that all that this world has, all these things are just things? They're temporal. The thing that God would not allow Satan to touch was Job himself. And, and I believe that that's, that's us today. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And if the Holy Spirit indwells you, then, then you, shun, you, you're, you're, you shun sin. You, you stay, you're in communion with God. And so your mind is on Christ. And so sometimes though, God will send these things before us to test us. And I believe this is what's happening to Jesus in this wilderness walk. It's, it's, it's not a temptation in the sense, in one way, it's not a temptation in the sense... Of it was done in, in pure evilness in the sense that Jesus was being tested. And, and why was he? Well, he was fully man as he was fully God. And, and he had to be tested. He had to, to prepare him, if you will, for his, his next three years of ministry. If, to, to prepare him to be obedient from what he was going to undergo. To prepare him to be faithful in what God had promised him. And, and we know for certain that, that Jesus Christ was obedient. Obedient unto death. Are you that obedient this morning? Even unto death? 
as we read and see on the news and people on all parts of the world as they're being persecuted even unto death not in the same way that Jesus was but nonetheless they're they're willing to to go to their death by not um, by not professing anything other than Christ Jesus crucified are you willing to do that would you be willing to do that today and that's a hard question it's not an easy question. Remember Peter? Peter, one of probably one of the greatest disciples that Jesus had of the twelve. The, the one of the more um, vocal ones, sometimes to his detriment, of, of, of course, as I can be as well. But even Peter, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he pulled out the sword and cut off the, the, the servant's the, the ear, uh, of the servant there of the, the Pharisees and and he was so bold at that moment and then not moments later what happens Jesus uh, Peter flees when he sees what what Jesus had been talking about the whole time is coming to pass so the point one is this the more intense the blessing the more intense the battle have you ever thought about that? The more intense that you're tested, the more intense that you're, you're tried, though, the greater the blessing. So we should, we should welcome those times. It shouldn't be things that we hang our head and ask God to, to get us out of this. We should pray for endurance. We should pray for faithfulness. We should pray for strength in the Spirit of God. Not for us to be taken from those things, but for us to defeat them in the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. That's what we should pray for. Remember, we go back, if we talk about Jesus the God-man, and this was foretold back in Genesis 3.15, um, and, and I just want to focus real fast on, on the God-man himself. He says, remember Adam and Eve in the garden, of course, we know this, the sinful fall that they were... Um, on probation, if you will, and that, that Adam took of the apple or the fruit as it was and, and he uh, bit or he ate of the forbidden fruit. And, and notice immediately after that, who does God speak to first? He speaks to Satan. What, who's, what promise did he make? Who did he make the first promise to? Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's redemption right there immediately after the fall. There's the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ in the flesh to come right here in Genesis 3.15. So what's the thread throughout the Bible? Jesus Christ. Our Redeemer. The whole Bible is about this God-man. Jesus Christ. It's about His coming. It's about His redeeming His people. You and I. I, I, I looked up that word enmity. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And the definitions I got were some of the words were hostility, uh, hatred, aversion, but this particular one kind of struck me. It said a blood feud. 
a blood feud. Wow. Isn't that the way it happened? When, what did the people of the Old Testament, Jesus, the Israelites, what did they have to do every year? And what did they do to, to rid themselves of sin, or at least temporarily in a way? They had to sacrifice. They had to bring lambs. They had to bring goats. They had to bring these animals to be butchered and, and for the blood to be shed. A foreshadowing of the real, the, the real one to come, Jesus Christ. The real sacrifice. The real lamb. And we know in the Old Testament that that's who Jesus was. The blood had to be shed for you and I on our behalf. Now, we could spend, and one of the, I guess, one of the issues I had with, with this uh, preparation of this sermon this morning is, I, I, honestly, um, there are so many different ways, there are so many sermons you could, you could preach on this that it's mind-boggling. And... Um, <laughs> And obviously, uh, Pastor Ben has, has been there and has, has done that. And I just, I don't know, it, it, it's so hard. I, I admire what he does. Because there's there so many ways we could compare the Adam, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden versus the second Adam, Jesus Christ. We could compare Adam and Eden in the Garden, Adam and Eve in the Garden there where everything's perfect and everything's provided and everything's just... It's to perfection. And then Jesus is in the wilderness, which is the very opposite. The wilderness is desolate. There's only thorns and briars. There's cliffs. There's sharp edges. There's, there's nothing there. It's desolate. We could make that comparison. So the first promise was addressed to Satan. And that's where we see redemption. So the entire Bible is about the God-man, Jesus Christ. The Redeemer of God's chosen people. Have you heard that before, God's chosen people? We learned in Ephesians 2 that God, you know, we are His chosen people. We are the ones that, if you are in Christ and you are chosen, a lot of people have that question, well, how do you know? Well, if you're in Christ, you're chosen. Well, we may ponder why Satan was judged first. And, and one one uh, gleaning that I picked up from studying was uh, a pastor said this, the destruction of Satan and thus the deliverance of man gives hope to Adam and Eve, even in their punishment. And you see, as you and I, we, th there is forgiveness of sin. And we are forgiven when we sin, when we go and we confess. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, He forgives us. But it doesn't mean there's not a consequence. And so we face those consequences daily, but yet we have hope because of what Jesus Christ. So the second point is this, is God is righteous and holy. Man now is in a fallen state and he cannot redeem himself. He needs a redeemer. He needs a savior, a God-man who is perfect in every way. We can go back to, to different foreshadowings of the Savior, the Messiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 7.14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Micah 5, 2, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, 
whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We know Jesus has always existed. He's always been. He was never created. He was the Creator. And of course, and I won't read through that whole passage, we could go to Isaiah 53, but just a verse out of there, he says, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. And so therefore we have Jesus Christ who's entered into the world, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. In John 1, we see where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We go down to verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then in 1 Peter 2.22, it says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. How else, how could anything but deity accomplish such a thing? So then we've established His deity, but how about his, his, His manhood? How about Him as man? Um, Luke 2.7 says he was born. He, if he was born, he was born, we know, of the Virgin Mary. But so he was born of a in, in human form. He was born with a body just like you and I. And in Luke 2.40, he says he grew. So just the same as you and I, as we grow up, and as we get older, we grow out. <laughs> he grew. And then in, in John 4.6, he said he grew tired. God Himself doesn't grow tired, does He? So we have this, this, this man, this, this God-man, we have the man side of Jesus Christ, this humanity, if you will, of Jesus. He grows tired. He got thirsty, John 9, 19, 28. He got hungry, Matthew 4, 2. He became physically weak, Matthew 4, 11, and Luke 23. He had a real human body after His resurrection, you know, what was Satan's purpose in tempting Christ in the wilderness? And it's this. Satan intended for Christ to sin and to ruin all his future service for God the Father. It's the same thing he intends for us. It's the same thing he intends for you and I on a daily basis. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, he wants to ruin your usefulness for the ministry of Christ Jesus. He wants to take away your testimony for Christ. He wants the world to see you and see and say, He's in Christ. You want to, you're, you're saying you want to be like Him? And He's like Christ Jesus? He's a sinner like all of us. And that's true. I am a sinner. But I'm forgiven. And I've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And so that's, it says Satan knew that Jesus was our, he was our mediator. He was sent of the Father on behalf of his chosen people. The entire Bible is focused on this. Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant, whom I hold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then again, we just read in Matthew 3, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The point being taken is that we were chosen even before the foundations of the world, but we were chosen in Christ. Only one man ever lived to the merit of the justification of God, the God-man Jesus Christ. He's the only one. 
The only one who was truly chosen was Jesus Christ. But we were chosen in Him and through Him and by Him. All the glory in that. How, how we should just be so humbled by that. That is something that you and I could never do with ourselves. And as I live my life daily, I'm so thankful for that because I know for a fact I cannot earn my way to heaven. I cannot earn my justification. There's nothing I can do because I was born dead. Through, my, through the first Adam, through the, through the, the uh, federal head of mankind, Adam, the first Adam, I was born dead. That was Jesus' message to Nicodemus there in the book of John about when he told Nicodemus, that he had to be born again. And Nicodemus wanted to go back and forth with him and say, can a man be born again a second time from his mother's womb? And that's not Jesus. That's not what he was talking about. You had to be spiritually born again. You see, you cannot see these things. You cannot see these great truths until your eyes are open and your ears, your eyes you can see with them and your ears you can hear with them. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, has to give you that ability. You can't do it on your own. And that's the reason all these other belief systems, these other religions, if you will, are false religions. They're false beliefs. Because their whole focus is on somebody that's dead and their bones are found in the ground. Jesus, as Pastor Ben alluded to earlier, as next Sunday is Easter, He arose from the grave. He defeated death. He, he, he grabbed the victory. It's been done for us. It's, yes, Christianity is a works religion, but it's not our works. It's Jesus' works upon the cross. From His daily living from His first 30 years, His perfection from sin. Man, I, I glory in that. It's, it's, it's what gives me comfort. Because even if I'm taken out of this world tomorrow, I know without a doubt, a matter of fact, that I'm going to be in the presence of my Lord Jesus Christ. That I was redeemed by Him upon the cross. What hope do you have if you don't have Jesus? The only hope you can have is, any, is of this world, these material things. And as you know, this world is very circumstantial. It's here today and gone tomorrow. What you... Long for what you really wanted to have today, tomorrow it's something else. Something else will replace it. And then it will be fleeting as well. But Jesus Christ is, is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He is, he is, he is all-powerful. He's all-everything. And so as, as Satan tempts Jesus, it says... We know as he, he said, we'll turn, he said, we'll turn these... You're hungry. So why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Well, now we could look at that in several different ways. One way I looked at it, I thought of it, I, I thought to myself, is there anything sinful in, in and of itself if Jesus had done that? He was hungry. When you and I hunger, what do you do? You go get something to eat. Jesus was out in the wilderness. He'd been out there 40 days and 40 nights. Surely he was hungry. Didn't he deserve something to eat? Remember the 5,000 that he fed in the, Old, in the New Testament? He took those few little fish and loaves of bread and he fed the multitudes. He did it a couple of times, didn't he? And what did the people do? They followed him around wanting something to eat. 
And, and Jesus basically said, if, if you want to feast upon something, feast of me. As we celebrate that in our, in our, when we have communion, when we, when we take of the wine and we take of the bread, it symbolizes the, the, the Jesus Christ, taking of Jesus Christ himself. But as he was out there, yes, he could have turned those stones into bread. There was nothing evil in and of itself of, of turning the stones into bread. But, but in this circumstance, in this particular circumstance, though, it would have been. Why would that be so? If he had turned those, remember, that's the whole mystery there of the God-man. Because he had to be fully man. Can you and I, if we were out somewhere in the, in, in the wilderness or in the desert somewhere, could you and I turn sticks and stones to bread? When you're hungry, can you speak to stones and turn them to bread? No. And for Jesus to do that would have accomplished what Satan set out to do. For then Jesus couldn't have related to you and I. He wouldn't have been the true God-man. He would have... He would have succumbed. He would have been just, it would have been his deity. He would have been in his deity. He would have separated himself from you and I. You see, he had to go all the way to the cross. Remember when it says all righteousness had to be fulfilled? That's what it's speaking of there. So if the God man had followed through with the supernatural act of turning stones into bread, our salvation would have been thwarted and Satan would have been victorious. The temptation is this. The temptation is that if he, Jesus the God-man, would have acted upon his deity in this situation, he would have separated himself from his humanity. And he couldn't have represented humanity in their providing an atonement for their sin. That's what Christ, that's what it was all about. That's what Satan was trying to do. He was trying to stop Christ from going to the cross. And these other temptations that we're going to see fall right in line with this. It's nothing but Satan's attempt to keep... Because he knew who Jesus Christ was. He knew who Jesus was. Let's make no doubt of that, about that as he goes with him. He is the God-man, but he knows Jesus is the Son of God. He knows he's God in the flesh. He's trying to keep him from the cross. And without the cross, you and I are lost. The first Adam failed in obedience to God the Father. The first Adam sinned and brought forth sin which leads to death. The second Adam represented the covenant head of the human race. He was truly man and he was truly God. He had to maintain his humanity in order to pay the redemption for man's sin. And that's why we cannot discount the first 30 years of his life. He had to fulfill the law, which he did. He was obedient even unto death. And he said, and he had to be obedient. Remember he said, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, that's the thing we have to tell ourselves from time to time. There's things we want. There's in our humanity and as, as human beings and having a, a sinful uh, part of us that's it's, that will be consummated one day, but as of yet, we're being sanctified in Christ. As, as you look to God, as you read His Word, you grow, you grow closer to Him, and, and, and He's in you and you're in Him. 
But as of right now, we, we do have a, a, a sinful nature, yet if you just keep your eyes on Christ, you see, that's what Jesus did. He kept his eyes on the Father. Remember, how did Jesus respond to Satan on each of these temptations? With Scripture. With Scripture. Remember what did Jesus say to him? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Proceeded from the mouth of God the Father. And that's the same for you and I. I'm not talking about necessarily physical food right now. Okay? Um, there's other things. There's things that we want that we lust after. Does Jesus not satisfy your diet, your, your appetite? Are you not feasting upon the Word of God? I'm afraid sometimes I have to admit, and I, I, I submit to you that, that sometimes I, I don't. Um, sometimes I, I find myself in these in places that I shouldn't be and thoughts that race through my head that, that are just, it's scary sinful. It's scary sinful. But what do you do when those things happen? You should get down on your knees and you should pray to the Lord our Savior. And first of all, you confess and you, and you ask for forgiveness, you repent, but then you remember what Jesus did for you upon the cross, that you've been washed clean. Satan cannot deter you. He's already been defeated. You know, Jesus, as he's sitting out at the right hand of the Father at this very moment, you know, we, we talked about him being fully God and fully man, having humanity, and yet having deity at the same time. And right now, um, right now, it's Jesus. I believe he's in his resurrected body right now. The same way as he was when he left is the same way he is today. He's in his resurrected state. He's no longer, he's not just spirit. We shall be like him as he is, the Bible says. And unless it's our humanity sitting at the right hand of God today, we have no hope for all eternity. Our humanity had to pay the price for sin. He, Jesus Christ, entered into solidarity with His people. Think of it this, this way. It's the same thing I told you earlier. That God is manifested in the flesh, so when he, when, when he hungered, He hungered the same way that you and I did. When He thirsted, He thirsted the same way that you and I would thirst. Had He used His supernatural power to satisfy His hunger then He could never have represented us as our great high priest. And that's Hebrews 4. Is Jesus your great high priest today? Is He the one that represents you? Is He the one that you have your life in? Oh, Jesus was so obedient to His Father. I thought of, um, as I was thinking of this, I, I love the Old Testament and I, I love those passages and I went back and I thought of King David. Remember King David when he was in the wilderness? See, there's another parallel there. There's so many ways you could go with this. He was in the wilderness and remember King Saul? He was after him and he was trying to kill him. He was wanting to get rid of King David. Or David, he wasn't king yet, but he was going to be. 
And, and so God had chosen him to be. And so King David wanted King Saul wanted to put David to death. And remember, there came a time when he was holed up there, and the Philistines were all about him. But it was they were asleep; they were sitting there camped about. And David had the opportunity, but yet he was thirsty. It says King David was thirsty, and one of his soldiers, knowing that their their master, their leader, their king was thirsty, what did they do? They braved it. They went over and they got a bottle. They got they filled their canteen or whatever it was of water and brought it back to King David, and said, "Here, drink." And what did King David do? Did he drink of it? No, he poured it out as a libation to God. He said, I will be as you are. I'm one of you. He established his solidarity with his followers, with his people. There's another foreshadowing of what Christ did in his ministry, in his, his walk, in his crucifixion, in all of his obedience to the Father. He was one of them. He would not satisfy himself when his men fought for him. So the temptation of Satan was to lure Jesus to grasp the final fruit of his ministry, to keep Jesus from the cross. The task of Jesus was to earn the removal of the curse upon his people. Jesus, as the God-man, had to remain obedient in his humanity to achieve what? Propitiation for our sins. What is propitiation? Pastor Ben's done an excellent job in the past in teaching us what that means in the Word of God. It is it so? It's the wrath. He had to. T- he took away the wrath of God. You see, when sin, sin entered the world, the judgment upon sin was death. The wrath of God had to be appeased. You and I can't do it. Why? Because we're born dead. We're sinners. A dead man can't do anything. Only Jesus Christ had the life. Only Jesus Christ led the obedient life. The life of perfection. Only He could do it. He represented us. He became our new head, if you will. He became the second Adam. And therefore, He had to go and and be placed upon that cross and have those nails driven through His legs and His arms and that crown of thorns placed upon His head and to be crucified upon that Roman cross cross, that wooden cross. One of the most horrible images you can never fathom in your mind. And then that was the least of it. And then remember when it became dark there for three hours? I believe that's when when all our sin, the sin of his chosen all the sin of his people was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And he died. He physically died. He was placed in a grave. He was dead three days. But what happened after that? He arose. As we will celebrate that next Sunday. As we celebrate it every Sunday. But in particular, we will celebrate that next Sunday. He arose. He conquered death. Death, where is thou steam? We, You know, that's one of the... We were studying... It's been a few weeks ago. We were in Wednesday night study. And, and I don't remember the exact question, but it was something to the effect, you know, what do you fear? What do people fear the most? And the first thought that passed through my mind is death. Even when we hear about the death of someone we don't even know, know nothing about, it sends a chill down your spine. It's death. But Jesus, here's our hope. Here's our, our here's what we have our faith in. Jesus defeated death. He arose from the grave. He ascended back into heaven. 
And so we have to be careful because as Jesus was, these were subtle ways of, of sin in which Satan tried to lure Jesus into. He knew Jesus was God Almighty. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was, he had, he was full of deity, that he was God in the flesh. We've got to remember that sin dulls our conscience. If we get in the habit and we turn away from the Holy Word and we, we fall into these ways and it dulls our mind, and sooner or later you will seek what the world offers. And when you seek what the world offers, you will, you will get, you will receive the world's wages. We buy things, we go places, we do whatever it makes to make us happy. Think about it. I was thinking of a, of, of a, a person, a friend that I know recently passed this past week. And he was an alcoholic. A true alcoholic of an al- alcoholic. And, and that's what he died of. And I think when the, when the drunkard's there, when he's drinking, is that where he finds his happiness? Does he find his happiness because it's, it's because of the dullness of his mind and what he's partaking of? Is that, is that true happiness? No. There's no alcohol. There's no narcotic. There's no nothing in this world that can give you true happiness. Only the holiness of God can give you happiness. Sin is the devil's narcotic that binds the man until he lands in hell. Or if he is as you and I, a Christian, it ruins your usefulness for the Lord. So again, another point is this, the next point. Satan was tempting Jesus to, as we go to the next um, temptation, it says, let's read that first, Matthew 4, 5-6, through 6, And the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And they will come and bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You cannot presume upon God Almighty. Don't we do that? Have you ever done that? God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I'll do this, this, and this. God, if you'll do this for me this time, I promise I'll never do this again. And what happens a few days later? You're right back where you started from, saying the same old thing again. You see, Jesus is suddenly, He's trying to tempt Jesus again. If you'll just do this, the people will see who you are. If you fall from this pinnacle and the angels come and, and sweep you up so that you don't even uh, cut your heel there on the stone or, 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 or hurt yourself in any kind of way, the people will know who you are and you will have no need to go to the cross. You can circumvent the cross, Jesus. You can have it now. You can be king now. Did Jesus fall for that? No, nah, He said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You cannot presume upon God. We all do this sometimes. We sin and we get ourselves into a mess and then we pray for God's help. Remember, God brought Jesus to this wilderness experience to teach him obedience, to be humble, to wait upon God for provision, to exercise a perfect faith. So Satan wanted Jesus to focus on temporal things. He wanted him to to be king right then and now, right then. He wanted to keep him from the cross. Abandon the idea of bloodstained redemption. Abandon the idea of a bloodstained redemption. Leap off this pinnacle and let all the people see and believe. 
there's an easier way. You don't have to shed your blood, Jesus, to accomplish what you are. We all know that you're the king. We all know that, that all things belong to you, that, that the angels will come to your rescue if you command them to. We all know that. Anytime you hear a gospel proclaimed without the blood of Calvary, you are hearing a lie straight from the devil's lips. If it doesn't preach the blood of Jesus Christ, it's not the gospel. Why does Satan hate the cross? Why does he want to prevent him from going there? Because it's our sins that have been washed away by that blood. Remember the Old Testament sacrifices and what they represented? It wasn't consummated. It wasn't until the blood of Jesus that was shed until it was fulfilled. Till now we don't need any more sacrifices. Israel does not need to butcher a calf now. We don't need to rebuild the temple. Jesus is the temple. We are the temple of Jesus. If the Spirit resides within you, we don't need to build a physical building anymore. Remember that's what Jesus was talking about. He said in three days I will tear this building down and I will build it up again. I will rebuild it. He wasn't talking, remember they, they ridiculed him for saying that. He wasn't talking about the physical building there, the temple. He was talking about his body. He was talking about himself. He was talking about his death, resurrection, and ascension. He was talking about your salvation. And then the last final temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister him. So both the Savior and Satan knew very well that all the kingdoms of the world were deeded to Christ. If you want to see that in Scripture, Revelation 11.15 clearly says all the kingdoms are his or Jesus's. Satan is saying to Jesus, take it now. There is no need to go to the cross. You are the heir of the kingdoms of the world. See how much good you can do at once, right this second. You can reign as king in person right this moment. You only have to bow to me, to Satan. For Christ to acquiesce, he couldn't have been our Savior. Satan offered Jesus the whole world, but Jesus stayed obedient unto his Father. Again, remember from the start, we learned that Satan's goal was to keep Christ from the cross. He wanted to ruin the usefulness and purpose of Christ in redeeming his people. Satan offered him everything. What about you? Have you given in to the subtleties of sin that may cost your usefulness for the Lord our Savior? Remember in Matthew 16, Peter tried to keep Jesus from the cross? Remember that? When Peter professed who Jesus was, and then when Jesus basically told him what he was here to do and what he was going about his business, what did, uh, remember Peter said, How dare you? You're not to go to the cross. You can't die. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's what Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with the whole time, was the things, was the sins of man. He wanted him to cut it short, to ruin our redemption, but he was obedient. Are you obedient? I was thinking as I went through the Bible, and I just thought of a few of these, and I just put here in my notes for thought, as I, as I thought about 
these things in which Satan tempted Jesus. Satan offered Esau some bread and lentil soup. And he took of it. He offered Gehazi two talents of silver and two sets of clothing. He accepted it. He offered Judas Iscariot 30 pieces of silver. We know what he did with it. What is Satan offering you? Because he's offering you something each and every day. What, did, what does Jesus offer in return? Better still, what did he promise to those who are faithful and obedient unto him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for your breath this morning. I thank you for your spirit. Father, as I've stumbled and, and tripped over myself from time and again, Father, I know it's not of me. Father, I pray that your spirit has imparted a word to an ear here today, Father, that would, that would sanctify them, Father, that would, that would draw them closer to you, that would give them a desire to know you better, Father, that would give them desire to be in fellowship and communion with you, to be in fellowship and communion with your people, with this church. Father, that, that even as I stand here today, that you can use someone as simple-minded as me. Oh, how great you are, how you use the futile, as you use the weak to do great things. For, Father, we know it's not of ourselves, it's of you. I thank you, Father, for the people here today. I pray that as we leave here, that, Father, we will deny Satan's temptations, that we will remain obedient unto you. For we know it's you, Jesus Christ. We know it's your Son, Jesus, that shed his blood, that washed away our sins. Oh, Father, may we go and love you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen.